This is Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We bring you Carmelite Spirituality Conversations with Mark Danis and Francis Harry. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations, a program on Carmelite Spirituality here on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. So great to be back with you again this week. Uh, and let me begin, as I do each week, by saying hi to my co-host in studio, Francis. Francis Harry, how are you? Hi, Mark. I'm so happy to be here. I know we're going to have another great conversation, and I'm so happy that um, Radio Maria is here to help us to speak to all the people who are out there listening. What a grace and uh, blessing. I have to say, only Francis Harry could make the prospect of confession sound joyful. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it purifies the soul and brings yes. us closer to God. That's great. <laughs> You're right. Well, that's, a, that's our topic, right? <laughs> I've given away the topic. That's right. <clears throat> We're going to talk about reconciliation, the sacrament of reconciliation, the sacrament of uh, confession, also called the sacrament of forgiveness. Uh, some refer to it as the sacrament of healing. It has many phrases and descriptions, and there's a reason for that, because it is all those things. And we're going to draw our conversation tonight from a document associated with the Jubilee Year of Mercy entitled Merciful Like the Father. Uh, Some of you may be familiar with this. It's a pastoral guide to the Sacrament of Reconciliation, Uh, and here... Um, at least in our diocese, I suspect in many uh, dioceses across the country, it was used for the 24-hour celebration, Francis. Uh, I know it was across the country because I saw it in uh, Washington, of course, at the cathedral. So March 4th and 5th um, um, was when this document was um, published and uh, distributed for uh, the celebration that occurred uh, those two days. But we're going to use it because it is a wonderful guide to the Sacrament of Reconciliation. Um, And what we really hope to do is give uh, those of you who may be very familiar with the sacrament a deeper appreciation for it, Um, perhaps um, provide some material and education uh, for those who may not be as familiar with it. Uh, But most especially, I think, Francis, our motivation here is to encourage those who may have been away from the sacrament for some period of time uh, to revisit uh, this most important sacrament of the church. I can confess myself, no pun intended, mm-hmm. uh, that for many years I was away from the sacrament of reconciliation. And I'll tell you, it was a great grace and blessing and has uh, certainly um, uh, been a mercy for me to have returned to it many years ago and to maintain a consistent uh, regimen of it. So we're going to talk about all that. Um, but as we do each week, uh, let me invite Francis to lead us first in prayer. Well, since our program is entitled A Reflection on Reconciliation, I thought maybe a prayer that we might pray before confession for heavenly aid would be appropriate. So let us get quiet, put the uh, disturbances, the excitement, anything in the day, put it aside from it and just really get quiet within, knowing Christ is within you. And let us pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father in heaven, Most merciful God, relying on your goodness and mercy, I come to you with childlike confidence to confess my sins and to beg your forgiveness. You will not reject a contrite and humble heart. Bless me and receive me again into your favor. I realize that I have been most ungrateful to you. 
But I desire henceforth to keep your commandments and to do your will in all things. Jesus, my Savior, my Good Shepherd, I did not follow in your footsteps, but have strayed far from the path that you have marked out for me. Repentant and sorrowful, I beg to be admitted again into the fold of your faithful followers. I want to confess my sins with the same sincerity as I should wish to confess at the moment of my death. My Jesus, I beg you for the grace to examine my conscience well. Holy Spirit, come into my soul, enlighten my mind, and strengthen my will that I may know my sins, humbly confess them, and sincerely amend my life. Mary, my mother, immaculate spouse of the Holy Spirit, refuge of sinners, help me by your kind prayers. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Francis. Very powerful prayer. Uh, one line in there, and of course, I didn't know the prayer you were going to pray uh, before we started, but the one line in there I'm going to come back to, I can promise you, and you'll remind me if I don't, is uh, this idea that we would want to enter the confessional the next time we do so uh, with the same, I guess, um, intensity and, and deliberateness that we would if we were lying on our deathbed. Right. Very good um, point. Because we never know when that moment might occur for us, and each uh, opportunity for reconciliation is an opportunity, as Francis hinted early in our conversation here today, at um, a healing and a cleansing and a purification. And really, that's what the sacrament is about. You know, it's not about a humiliation. It's not about having to experience our brokenness uh, in a continual basis. It's really about a conversation that Francis and I have been having for the last couple of weeks and that is um, this idea of mercy. Of course, this conversation will build on those two programs, which were drawn from the Holy Father's most recent book, entitled The Name of God is Mercy. There is a great deal in there on the Sacrament of Reconciliation. But we wanted to take that a step further this week and have a conversation about both why confession, why do we seek reconciliation, um, what is the benefit of it? And then how do we best prepare ourselves for it? You know, many of us who may have uh, been attending, as I indicated, I have now uh, for some number of years, uh, reconciliation uh, with some consistency um, can tend to become somewhat, um, you know, patterned in, in uh, that frequency. And, and we don't um, prepare as well, perhaps, as we should or think about the significance of the sacrament. And so we want to awaken both our conscience and our spirits to the realization of the benefits of the Sacrament of Reconciliation. And I want to even encourage people to consider going weekly to confession because it is a strengthening and you're uh, reinforced in grace. And so um, I, I just think that, you know, we want to grow holy, right? We want to be saints. And so let's do what we can. And, well, you know, I, I re was reading Lamentations Chapter 3, verse 40, let us search our ways and seek and return to the Lord. And that's what reconciliation is about, forgiveness and mercy um, and healing. Well, I said we want to understand a little bit more about this sacrament. For those of you who are very familiar with it, hopefully we'll reveal something that will be meaningful to you. Uh, those not as familiar, perhaps there'll be a great deal in what we share 
Um, but most especially, I think our objective, Francis, has already expressed is to really engender a motivation for those who may have been away from the sacrament for some time. It was prayed in the Mass I attended today um, that those who've been away from the faith and from the practice of reconciliation uh, might feel that awakening of their conscience and their spirit to return to uh, both the practice of their faith as well as the the sacrament of reconciliation. But next, we want to understand better, how do we prepare ourselves? How do we get the most out of it? Um, Because that is really important. As I say, you can fall into the trap if you do uh, participate um, uh, with some frequency uh, of becoming uh, just sort of in a groove. And of course, we don't want that to happen. Well, there's something we want to say right up front uh, because it's really the basis of the entire conversation. And it really leads off, as I said, the Holy Father's uh, book that we had a conversation on the last couple of weeks. And he referred in that book to the reality of God's mercy, wherein he said it was not subject to theological reflection. It's fine to dialogue on the topic of God's mercy, but it's not something open to interpretation. In other words, he said, God's mercy is a doctrine of the church. Well, in exactly the same way, the Holy Father, along with the previous Pope, Pope Benedict XVI, uh, who preceded him, want to stress, and it's done in this document, that God's forgiveness is not subject to debate. Yeah, because if a person sincerely confesses and they desire to be reconciled, if that person prays for God's forgiveness, it will be granted. You know, God's mercy is endless. It's just we get tired of asking for it. You know, there are two primary reasons that a person will seek this reconciliation with God. The first and, and frankly, the more prevalent motivation for confession um, is that a soul generally fears punishment or the loss of heaven. Um, And although there's nothing wrong with that, it's not the most perfect motivation. Um, The better motivation, but probably less common for seeking reconciliation with God, is purely out of love for him. You know, we should all aspire to reach a level of spiritual awareness where we come to understand the true nature of sin and how it wounds us in our relationship with God. Because sin... Um, it makes our love grow cold. That's what the Holy Father brought out, I thought, so uh, beautifully in his book. He talked about the woundedness of humanity. He talked about the wound that is a consequence of sin. And it isn't just, of course, um, the individual who is wounded by this. You know, we are all part and members of the mystical body. um, And therefore, there is another... Uh, idea associated with this wounded nature of sin, and that is that sin also has a social element. In other words, whenever we sin, we introduce an infection into the body, not only into our own soul, but into the larger mystical body, i.e. the church. So there's social consequences. And I know Pope Benedict XVI, he had said, with my personal sin, I have damaged the communion of the church. And that made me think of we damaged the union with the Lord, too. Yeah, and he brings out, this is, again, Pope Benedict, former uh, Holy Father Pope Benedict, um, refers to this, what he refers to as the horizontal element of sin, also the social aspect, he refers to it. Um, and he, he also, though, gives us some encouragement in this regard in that he says, if we have 
fallen if we participated, though we have contributed, unfortunately, to this horizontal or social aspect of sin. We also then have the ability to contribute to the healing of the body of Christ and not simply making up for our own failure, but going beyond that. We're going to talk about that as we continue, but uh, it's an important point we don't want to miss. So sin then breaks the communion that we have with others because we're all the mystical body of Christ. And so the sacrament of reconciliation is what reconciles people to the ecclesial community. And, um, Pope Emeritus Benedict had said, and therefore this social horizontal dimension of sin requires that it be absolved also at the level of the human community, of the community of the church, almost physically. So that's the reason why we're going to the priest. We're not just confessing to God. You know, we we need that communal aspect of this because we have communally uh, hurt people. We, I mean, we have hit, hurt people in the community. So that communal aspect of reconciliation is very important. You know, and Pope Benedict said, former uh, Pope, uh, Pope Emeritus is probably the right title, um, also said, not in this document, by the way, they, they were quoting previous documents that he had authored. <clears throat> Many people will say, well, my sin is just about me. I, I haven't gone and stolen. I haven't hurt anybody. I haven't done anything to another person. Those are obvious examples where we're wounding the mystical body. But he says, no, that's not true. As members of the mystical body, when a cell is infected, in effect, the rest of the body is impacted by that in some way. Just like like when our bodies um, um, experience an infection, other resources are drawn from throughout that body uh, to fight that infection. And so um, it's a good analogy for us to understand that though we may say, well, I'm just sitting in a quiet room, you know, participating in whatever sinful behavior and it's not affecting anybody. That's not true. It's never true. And then in the confessional, then the priest makes the face and the authority of God present to us, but also the face of the Christian community. So I really like that. And I think that gives another way of approaching um, the importance of going to confession. Well, let's start um, by, by laying the groundwork for this. I think it's important. Um, we've sort of built the case and I think been uh, um, upfront about where we want to go in, in terms of uh, encouraging people to return to the sacrament. But let's get a few of the basic facts on this point. First, according to the church, Christ himself is the one who instituted this sacrament. Uh, When he showed himself to his apostles on the evening after Easter, uh, he spoke to them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. I'm reading from John's Gospel, by the way, uh, chapter 20, verses 22 and 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And so I want to return to this question that Francis has already introduced. Why um, do we hear so often uh, from people, well, I don't need the sacrament of reconciliation anymore. I hear this from older people, Francis. It's interesting, you know, folks who are in their 70s or so forth, and they'll say, well, I don't really need the sacrament anymore. I don't sin very much anymore, you know, or I don't have the capacity to sin anymore. I don't think they understand how they're missing out on the opportunity of, number one, cleansing from venial sins, which, you know, so many times we're not even aware of, and also the, the grace that comes to strengthen us to fight the spiritual battles before us. Yeah, and you brought up the point, too, of those who say, well, 
I'm doing that, but I'm in my room. I'm talking to Jesus in my room. I'm good. I'm covered. I, yes. You so know, what do you I'm tell him, Mark? <laughs> well, I quite frankly, I would say things very similar to, I would quote uh, po- uh, uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict and say, there's both a social element to our sin. There is an infection that has come about. But even if I don't want to accept that, I do have the ability, I have the uh, capacity as a member of the mystical body, not simply to repair the wound, but to contribute to the healing. Yes, I like that. People struggle with this. They say, well, wait a minute. How does my seeking reconciliation contribute to the body? We're going to build this theme. I don't want to lose that that idea. But let me say up front, it is all based in love. That shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody who's been listening to this program for any length of time. Um, it is all based in love and this capacity for the body to release love, which, of course, leads to healing. Uh, uh, of course, um, we know that our life is a constant struggle, back to the motivation about returning to the sacrament. Um, and it, its uh, tendency is an inclination towards sin, otherwise known as concupiscence. Um, it is possible, we know, unfortunately, to lose our baptismal grace. And therefore, as we've said, Christ instituted the sacrament, the sacrament of reconciliation. The uh, Catechism of the Catholic Church, of course, gives us some insight on this in um, the section 1425. And Francis, if you don't mind, I'm going to ask you to read that. All right. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. One must appreciate the magnitude of the gift God has given us in the sacraments of Christian initiation in order to grasp the degree to which sin is excluded for him who has put on Christ. But the Apostle John also says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And the Lord himself taught us to pray, Forgive us our trespasses linking our forgiveness of one another's offenses to the forgiveness of our sins that God will grant us. That's obviously the reason we seek reconciliation. We are wounded. We are um, incapable in many cases, it's unfortunate but true, of doing um, the good, avoiding sin. And so we have the sacrament to heal us and to reconcile us to God. But it was not only for that purpose that Christ instituted this sacrament. We also make use of this sacrament for a word I didn't use at the beginning intentionally because I wanted to introduce it here, and that is a word called conversion. Um, It's also uh, called conversion because it leads to a continual purification and perfecting of the souls of the baptized, that is the sacrament. We desire to be washed of our sins. Yes, that's absolutely true. But we also desire to grow in holiness. We desire to be transformed ever more perfectly into the image of the model that has been presented to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so here's what the Catechism has to say, not only about reconciliation, but also using specifically this term, conversion. This is Article 1426. Conversion to Christ the new birth of baptism, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the body and blood of Christ received as food have made us holy and without blemish, just as the church herself, the bride of Christ, is holy and without blemish. Nevertheless, 
the new life received in Christian initiation has not abolished the frailty and weakness of human nature, nor the inclination to sin that tradition calls concupiscence, which remains in the baptized, such that with the help of the grace of Christ, they may prove themselves in the struggle of Christian life. This is the struggle of conversion directed toward holiness and eternal life to which the Lord never ceases to call us. So this idea of conversion, of transformation, is not a reacquiring, if you will, Francis, the level of holiness that we may have had before. It's not just simply holding our ground. We're not about holding our ground. We're about going deeper. We're about going into um, increasing levels of both purification as well as scrutinizing our own behavior in the confessional. I would say, and it's been said to me, if you're confessing the same sins now that you were, say, three years ago, you need to look at your preparation for confession. You need to be deepening. Now, it doesn't mean we can't fall into the same traps. We do. It happens to people, and I'm not uh, disparaging anybody who may be struggling with a particular vice. What I'm saying is that the very dialogue of our um, um, you know, time with Christ, that, that conversation in the confessional has to deepen just like a relationship of love would deepen, right? Mm -hmm. People who are in college and dating don't talk about the same things as people who are in their fifties and have had children, right? So the relationship has to deepen. Well, we want to talk about preparation for confession because this will come in increasing levels of, um, I use the word scrutiny, but we we might use the word holiness as well. Or examination. Examination is a better choice yet. Um, We want to understand how do we begin to deepen that. We're all probably familiar with the process of using the Ten Commandments, for example, as a means of preparing ourselves for the sacrament of reconciliation fairly simple process of going through each of the commandments and asking ourselves questions, perhaps in a more modern context. But nonetheless, whether we've lived up to our commitment as baptized Catholics in the context of those commandments. Francis, I know you have some examples of those that we want to share. Well, from the first commandment, I am the Lord your God, you shall not have strange gods before me. You might ask yourself, have I treated people or events or things or money, power as more important than God? Another example, remember to keep holy the Lord's Day, the third commandment. Well, do I go to Mass every Sunday or the Saturday Vigil and on holy days of obligation? Do I avoid, when possible, work that impedes worship to God, joy for the Lord's Day, and proper relaxation of mind and body? Do I look for ways to spend time with family or in service on Sunday? And then let's do one more. You shall not kill. You might ask yourself, have I harmed another through physical, verbal, or emotional means, including gossip or manipulation of any kind? Of course, this is standard material for any good examination of conscience. It's preparation for confession. We should prepare for confession just the way we would prepare before we go in to pray. You wouldn't want your preparation for confession to be the extent of the time that you spent in line waiting to get into the confessional box, right? Right. You really want to take some time to do that. Um, and as I said, we, we know of people who say, well, I'm ba- you know, sort of past the point of needing uh, the sacrament or I do it in my room. But the truth is, as we continue down this journey of faith, we realize we are called to an ever-deepening level of purification and perfection in the virtue of love, which is within us. 
We remember what Pope Francis shared in his book, the one that we discussed and we've mentioned here this, uh, in this conversation, that sin creates a wound in the human soul and in all of humanity for that matter. But he also said we should not be using the confessional like a dry cleaning service. There has to be remorse for the stain of sin. We should not, therefore, presume that preparation for reconciliation begins only as we approach the sacrament. If we are really engaged in the spiritual warfare that we see all around us, then we are counseled to constantly be on our guard against the assault of the enemy, as indeed we read in 1 Peter 5.8. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Well, we're going to come back to that um, particular Bible verse. And again, in this conversation, we'll bring up our uh, ancient enemy, the devil. But a reminder that you've been listening to Carmelite Spirituality Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We'll take a short break and we'll be right back.
Radio Maria. This is a Christian voice in your home. We bring you back to Caramelit Spirituality Conversations with Mark Danis and Francis Harry. Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian voice in your home. Just before we broke, uh, we gave you a scripture verse, which I think might have been a tension grabber, an attention grabber, Francis. Um, we're going to read it again as we continue into this conversation on the sacrament of reconciliation, confession. We've introduced the term the sacrament of conversion. Um, and we are reminded in this uh, encouragement from First Peter uh, that we have both uh, ourselves to struggle with and also our ancient enemy. And here's what First Peter 5.8 says, Be of sober spirits, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Well, we must need then, Francis, to remain vigilant at right. all times. So the question is, how do we acquire this state of watchfulness? Uh, we must, I think, be willing to examine our conscience every day. This is not new. Everybody has heard this before, that we should do a daily examination of conscience. It's and, good Catholic practice. And although it is a good Catholic <laughs> practice, I don't think I hear it uh, spoken of very often. I know as a um, secular order of the Discos Carmelites, this is part of our routine is to have this examined with our uh, night prayer in the office. And all religious, of course, would do that. Um, but I think it is definitely a really good practice for all of us in all states of life. Well, and I would tell you that this consistent with our theme that we need to go to deeper and deeper levels of purification and conversion. Scripture would certainly advocate a daily examination of conscience, but it would go even further. Christ reminds us, in fact, in Matthew 5, 28, he says, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The reason I bring that scripture verse out is it reminds us that daily we experience thousands of thoughts. We are uh, both uh, willing to uh, create images in our own minds and, and we have passions and desires that we express those, uh, those emotions toward. But we are also, as we just read, assaulted by our enemy who constantly wants to berate our, uh, or uh, attack our thoughts and engender in them this uh, concupiscence and an exercising of the desires and the passions that are resident within us, our, our inherent weakness. We see then in this how the bar has been raised. Just following the rules, so to speak, if you will, might no longer be enough. Uh, certainly in Scripture it is not enough. St. Francis de Sales, a great um, doctor of the church and also a spiritual director, would in fact recommend to us that we continually examine our conscience and our actions to see day by day, hour by hour, whether we are falling back, making progress, or as I suggested before, perhaps only holding our position in the land of holiness. Now, Mark, you mentioned earlier about um, how it's a common practice to use the Ten Commandments as a way of examining your conscience, but there are many more, which we hope to list near the end of the program, but one of the others... Uh, ways is through the precepts of the church, and we don't hear that talked about a lot. But but that also gives us a good lens to examine ourselves. And these precepts are number one: to attend mass on Sundays and holy days of obligation, and resting from servile works. I think that one will get a lot of people. Explain that one. <laughs> uh, where you're doing unnecessary labor. 
you know, uh, you could put off, uh, you might need to mow your lawn, okay, right? I understand that. But maybe there is some something that you could wait and do, you know, do it on Saturday instead right. of on Sunday. Sunday should be a day of family and rest. And of, number one, of course, worshiping the Lord. Uh, the second precept to observe the days of abstinence and fasting, which we've been doing um, through this Lenten period, and especially coming up this Friday, Good Friday, uh, we'll be doing a day of abstinence and fasting. Um, the third one, to confess our sins to a priest at least once a year. But, of course, Mark and I are saying, you know, monthly, weekly, <laughs> if you want to grow in holiness. And we do. We want to be saints. All right. Uh, four, to receive our Lord Jesus Christ in the Holy Eucharist at least once a year during Easter season. Now, keep in mind, this is the minimum um, the, the minimum minimum obligation. So, you know, really by, by receiving uh, Holy Communion frequently, you, you're increasing your union with the Lord. You're increasing your uh, availability to grace. Um, the fifth precept is to contribute to the support of the church. That may be monetarily. That may be through your works, um, your volunteering. Um, Use of your talents. Yes, yes. So, But we, we all should have some way that we are contributing to the support of our local church. Um, also, to obey the laws of the church concerning matrimony in our day and age. That one is really... Um, Violated. Yes. <laughs> Let's be honest. And the last one, to participate in the church's mission of evangelization of souls. That's the missionary spirit in the church. Yeah, these sound like, um, in some respects, I would agree, uh, you know, fairly easy things to accomplish. But I'll tell you, interestingly, I read an article this past week, Francis, on the minimums as it relates to fasting. Yes, in the I read, read that, that article. Yeah. yeah. And and I was surprised. Uh, I do try to practice what was articulated in there. Sometimes I fail. Quite often I fail. But it, the truth of the matter is, I didn't realize that what I was practicing was the minimum. That's what uh -huh. the church asks for. If you want to go above and beyond that. Uh, you've got to, in fact, uh, you know, perhaps uh, sacrifice a little bit more. But Yeah, I, I, like bringing to the fore that every Friday is a day of abstinence. Yes, exactly. So um, that's interesting. Well, back on this examination of conscience, we have one um, method, if you will. It's the one articulated by Francis de Sales, and he suggests the following. He says, get in mind, um, you know, the, the, the right perspective on God on a continual basis, every day at least. He says, thank God for having kept you during the day. This is presuming you're doing this at night. Examine how you conducted yourself throughout the day by reflecting on where, with whom, and in what work you were engaged. If you find you've done any good, thank God for it. Don't take credit yourself, but thank God for what good you've done. He is the author of it all. If you've done anything wrong in thought, word, or deed, ask God for pardon and make a resolution to go to confession at the first opportunity and make a careful amendment for it. This is another aspect of reconciliation, Francis, that we so often forget. You know, we are given a penance most often by the priest uh, to allow ourselves to um, find reconciliation. But that's not, th again, that's the minimum, right? We can go beyond that. If we've wounded ourselves or the mystical body, we want to do all we can to heal that. Finally, he says, Francis de Sales says, recommend to God's providence your body, soul, the church, your relatives, and your friends. In other words, if you've wounded the mystical body, recommend them to God as well. You don't know the effects of your sins, so you want to make sure to try to bring about 
a healing as broadly as you can. And I want to recommend a three-step one. It's very simple. I like simple because I can remember three steps. <laughs> and this was given to me by my spiritual director. Uh, three steps. Number one, thank God for what went well in your day. And so we're doing this every night. And then that helps you make your um, examination of conscience uh, for your general um, reconciliation. So thank God for what went well. The second step is just say you're sorry for what went badly, where you sinned, where you messed up. All right. So you're thanking, then you're saying, I'm sorry. And then the final one, ask for what you need, the gifts that you need, you know, beseech the Lord for his love and his mercy to do better. I mean, that's what he's obviously focused on is um, you know, what is it we need for ourselves to be able to do better? Be careful, by the way, if you ask for patience, because you'll get that opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> well, it should also be pointed out that Francis de Sales didn't think daily examination of conscience was enough, not for himself. Um, he used as a practice uh, to quickly review his daily activities on a continual basis. I've seen it written that he did this every 15 minutes. I think it was perhaps more likely that it was every 30 minutes. But he would simply look back over the last 30 minutes of his day and see whether his actions and his thoughts did, in fact, comport with what was called Christian charity. Talk about intentional living. (laughs) Yes, very much so. Uh, Where he found himself falling short, he would immediately seek amendment for his actions. Again, he would do this probably, Francis, using something very similar to what you just articulated, because that's very direct, very quickly, um, you know, sort of uh, gone through. And Francis uh, might well hold us to an even higher standard than the Ten Commandments, as indeed we will see in the document that we have been referencing here on a couple of occasions, entitled Merciful Like the Father. It's a Jubilee Year of Mercy document. Uh, from the Pontifical Council for the Promotion of the New Evangelization. And I'm going to ask Frances if she wouldn't mind reading this particular section from St. Luke's Gospel. Yes, this is for preparation for confession. And this is the passage that was selected in order to prepare souls for confession. But I say to you that here, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To him who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your coat as well. Give to everyone who begs from you. And of him who takes away your goods, do not ask them again. And as you wish that men would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the selfish. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. Well, so we see in these words from St. Luke a very challenging picture of what might actually be called this practice of Christian charity. So we see it's no longer that we not simply criticize our neighbor, we forego the criticism, or that we're willing to extend forgiveness to an enemy who hurt us. Christ now is elevating his expectations, saying you must love your enemy. 
It's no longer about balancing the scales. Holiness, as presented by Jesus Christ, seems to be taking on a much deeper meaning. Christ said that he did not come to abolish the law or the commandments, but then he added this line in John 13:34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. You know, the commandments have to do with what we must do or what we must not do from many people's perspective. They have to do with human acts, how humans act out their life, how, how uh, they engage with other human beings. However, Christ is trying to get us to go deeper and to understand that what is within us makes us do the wrong. As St. Paul himself confessed, he was guilty of, for the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. And he said this quite late into his ministry, by the way, who, uh, a man who had been um, um, directly chosen by Jesus Christ, who had seen Jesus Christ, and who had many encounters with the apostles and knew and taught as well as anybody the teachings of Jesus Christ. And yet he himself says, for the good that I would de- uh, desire to do, I do not Instead, he says, um, I fail at that. We simply cannot rely on ourselves any longer in in these cases where we are trying to uh, convert ourselves, transform ourselves, purify ourselves. We're too weak. We read about concupiscence a few moments ago. We need help in trying to overcome our weakness, and we need grace to help us in practicing the good. Just living by the commandments of not doing what you shouldn't and doing the thing you should is no longer sufficient for this very reason, our inherent weakness. But there's another reason that we must continually seek reconciliation and deepen our reconciliation and in our failure to live up to the commandment. Paul's not only saying here that he is weak at times, he's also acknowledging that he is often deceived in trying to understand what is the right and good thing to do, what is God's will in the individual circumstances. So, yeah, trying to figure out what is God's will for me in this moment. Well, I just read an article, um, Mark. It was by Monsignor Charles Pope. I really love him. I I do, too. (laughs) I love his articles. Um, And it was called Don't Believe Everything You Think. (laughs) And he basically said, you know, I'll just summarize it, four things that we delude ourselves in. Number one, we are overgeneralizations. Um, We're we're saying always or never, uh, okay, and that's not true. Um, Another one is all or nothing thinking, like I am a to- total failure. Um, I just gained ten pounds. You know that's not that's not an all or nothing thing. <laughs> all right. Um, another uh, delusional way of thinking is emotional reasoning. Reasoning like I feel anxious when I fly, therefore airplanes are not safe. <laughs> all right. So you can see that uh, where your emotions have colored your um, ability to discern. And the the fourth one he mentioned was mind reading, jumping to conclusions about what others are thinking. Oh, that's rampant. (laughs) There's a lot of projection going on out there right now. Well, and there's somebody, of course, in this equation that we've got to mention who's helping us with that thought process and those projections uh, that we are imposing on other people or maybe deluding ourselves with. And they're the ones that Paul's talking about. Yes, acknowledging his own weakness, but he also acknowledges in this weakness that he has an enemy. And Pope Francis uh, quoted in this document, though these are drawn from two separate uh, presentations that he um, uh, 
provided. Uh, they are included in this document, and it says, according to Pope Francis, the evil one, of course we are speaking here about the devil, always tries to deceive, to lead us, and to make us choose the wrong path. When the evil one succeeds in anesthetizing the conscience, in quieting the conscience, then he can claim a true victory, for he has become the master of that conscience. This happens everywhere. Everyone has problems. We are all sinners. The evil one is hidden. He comes with his very cultured friends, knocks on the door, asks permission, enters and follows that man in his daily life, and little by little gives him instructions. And, and this is exactly what Francis was referring to. And then Pope Francis goes on to tell us what the solution is. So pay attention. <laughs> Discernment, he says, is necessary. A Christian cannot rest easy, assuming that everything's fine. He must discern things and really look at where these thoughts come from. What is their root? Where does this whole idea originate? What's the origin of this opinion, these phenomena, this thing? Know how to discern situations. This is of God, and this is not of God. I couldn't imagine a more important sentence, Francis, for us to reflect on here for a moment here in our conversation. For all the reasons you just raised regarding these thoughts that berate us throughout the course of our day, especially when we're in trial, when we're in difficult times, the Holy Father says, this is of God, this is not of God. This comes from the Holy Spirit, and this comes from the evil one. Vigilance, he says, we said that a moment ago, vigilance is necessary because the enemy may come. Temptations will always return. The evil one never tires. He was cast out, but he, he has patience and he waits and he returns just as he waited for Christ in the desert. The church counsels us to always make an examination of conscience. What happened today in my heart because of this? Where do these comments, these words, these thoughts, these teachings come from? Who is saying this? Is this from God or is this not from God? Very uh, astute observation and recommendation for all of us. You know, we've already seen the high standard we are being held to with regard to our, our love of our neighbors in the reading of St. Luke's Gospel. But, you know, St. Francis de Sales might well remind us that there's still another standard that we must begin to look to in our preparation for the Sacrament of Reconciliation as it relates to us personally. And that is the famous Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So what we see happening here now as we discussed this increasing level of scrutiny, I'll use that word, or examination, as Francis said, the Ten Commandments are a great starting point. The scripture verse that we read earlier with regard to people, uh, you know, sort of engaging us in negative ways and yet we're to return love. In the Beatitudes, it's very much about conversion. 
It's very much about our transformation. Are we, for example, peacemakers? Are we people who thirst for righteousness? Are we people who are merciful? Do we show mercy? Are we pure in heart? Are we the people who mourn? For we will be comforted. This is a very high standard to uh, evaluate yourself or examine yourself against if you want to understand what it means to seek real conversion of the heart. It's a very difficult uh, challenge, but nonetheless one that we are given great strength and grace and mercy to accomplish. And that is summed up in the one commandment from Romans thirteen nine and 10. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So we see it's more about the condition of our heart. We might ask, though, at this point, how am I to become love? How am I to practice the Beatitudes that you just read from Matthew 5? We circle back to love, which the Holy Father did in his own book, because ultimately this is the means of healing. This is the method for us being able to do this. I'm not a saint, I might say, and certainly I'm not. You're one in the making. (laughs) (laughs) I can't be expected to act in, in the way of a saint. Of course, in order to be able to move our wills in the direction, we must continually rely on our model, the one that's been provided to us. Christ himself, right? Absolutely. God demonstrates from Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the very message of mercy from from Scripture. If we believe we're going to be able to do this on our own, we'll certainly fail. We will have fallen into that sin of presumption. The only hope we have is to rely on God's mercy. This then brings us back to exactly where we were in our earlier conversation on mercy with the book uh, by the Holy Father in the two weeks that Francis and I spent talking about that. You see, in order for us to allow the Holy Spirit to begin this work within us, we must come to the point where we really see the need in our life for God's mercy, where we really desire it, where we come to fully accept it. The good news is that evil will never have the last say. St. John Paul II had something to say on this very matter. In a book entitled Memory and Identity, he said this, The limit imposed on evil is ultimately divine mercy. Evil will never triumph. We must seek God's mercy. When we seek it, we will find healing. When we find that healing, we will grow in love. And when we grow in love, we will become a means through which the church will also be healed. That's the message of mercy. That's the message of the sacrament of reconciliation and the sacrament I prefer to refer to as the sacrament of conversion. Now we're going to post some resources on our Carmelite uh, conversations.com website for this program that will help you. But, you know, there's other ways of looking at and preparing for confession, like the seven vices or the seven virtues, uh, looking at yourself in relation to the corporal and spiritual works of mercy or the, the- three theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity or the evangelical councils of poverty, chastity, obedience. And, and there are more. But I have this wonderful prayer to end that was in the Merciful Like the Father document um, as a closing prayer for us. It's Psalm 103. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with mercy and the compassion, who satisfies you with good as long as you live, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, a reminder, you've been listening to Carmelite Spirituality Conversations on Radio Maria Christian Voice in your home. We wish you the very most blessed Easter. And until we are with you again, may God bless you all.